Kyle. Um, good morning to you, Grace Fellowship. Um, hey, that, that's not a part of the sermon, but uh, that uh, I will get these random song lyrics stuck in my head. Like usually it's 80s, 90s songs. Uh, this week it was a Cheerios hook, uh, and I just and I didn't even know it was a Cheerios hook. And it's like, why are these songs songs stuck in my head? Well, uh, the advertisers they know what they're doing. Uh, hey, but th- but that line, uh, that chorus. Uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I can only pray that those words echo through my head uh, for the next days, weeks, and months to come. Uh, that song just, I was undone by it this morning, and so I hope you were too. Uh, hey, um, so that, anyway, that's my two cents there for that. But uh, hey, uh, so what did you want to be when you were in elementary school? When you think back to elementary school, I want to be blank when I grow up. Uh, anybody brave enough to throw out an answer here uh, in church this morning? A cowboy, that's right. That's, all, that's awesome. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, anything that you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, well, last service there was Batman. It seems that I, as I've asked this question, there's always Batman. Uh, and so always be yourself unless you can be Batman, then always be Batman. Uh, hey, but uh, I, am, I serve as a chaplain of the Clone Heights Middle School football team. And this week, as I was getting ready for this sermon, I asked them, when you were younger, what did you want to be? And there were some superheroes. Uh, Batman was probably the most common. Uh, and then there were some astronauts uh, and some, uh, some doctors of different kinds. And then uh, there were uh, a few engineers uh, in there as well. But all these things they wanted to be when they grew up. Uh, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I wanted to be a professional athlete. One, because I had fallen in love with sports. And, I, you know, I played baseball, basketball, football. It didn't matter what sport I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to be a professional athlete, athlete so I could play sports. And then two, so I could be really rich, you know, that I could get the money. You know, and even this is back, you know, 30 years ago. They still were making quite a bit of money. Uh, and um, But uh, so that's what I wanted to be at 8, 9, 10 years old. Uh, flash forward to high school. Think about what you wanted to be uh, when you grew up in high school. Uh, mine still has a common theme. I, I, by then I realized I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't big enough, or I wasn't strong enough to be a professional athlete. But I still wanted to be filthy rich. I, I wanted to have a lot of money. I wanted to have a big house and a white picket fence and a sports car. And I also wanted to have a beach house. Uh, is that what I wanted in high school? Uh, is it still a common theme is that I, I wanted to... Uh, to get paid uh, a lot for doing a little. Uh, hey, but, um, but you know, in college for me uh, is that I, my roommate had this, uh, I, I was an elementary education major starting out is I thought I'd want to teach elementary school. And uh, my roommate had this brilliant idea. Hey, if you really want to know if, if you want to teach elementary school kids, you got to get a job out of an after school program and find out if you like elementary school kids. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, so I went and got a job. It was a great job because I worked every afternoon from 2 to 5, and then I didn't work any weekends. And so it was like, this is a perfect job for a college kid. Uh, but the only thing is, is the kids that I worked with, they were spoiled brats. Like, I don't think they'd ever heard the word no in their life. And so for working there for about three months, I changed my major. It was like, I do not want to work with elementary school kids. Get me out of here. Uh, I realized it probably wasn't a great 
uh, sample size, you know, that it probably wasn't the great, you know, that this group of kids probably was not the whole, but I decided elementary school kids were not for me. And so I changed it to secondary education. The plan was that I would be a high school history teacher. Uh, but my junior year of college is that God kind of began to spin off a different direction uh, and give me a heart for ministry. I was volunteering in ministry at this time, but but by the end of my senior year, I proposed to my wife, Dana, and uh, I had uh, interviewed to come on Young Life staff. Uh, and that was, that, that was the, the, the path he was choosing for me. And I was excited about it. And so he took... So Dana had lived in Atlanta, Georgia, before we got married, a, a thriving metropolis of four million people. And I grew up in Knoxville and went to school there, you know, roughly 600,000. And he, he brought us together and sent us to Sparta, Tennessee, thriving 5,000 people in the whole city, uh, 25,000 maybe in the whole county. Um, and uh, so we moved to Sparta from our uh, honeymoon, and we're taking our film to get it developed and Walmart was closed at 8.05 p.m. And Dana just starts crying. It was like, <laughs> sorry. Is that, you know, but we spent three years there. Uh, and it was a great three years for our marriage, for us to, to draw closer to one another. Uh, and it was a great way for me to kind of to dive into Young Life Ministry on staff. And, and it was great. And we loved the people we worked with. And we got to share the gospel with a lot of different high school kids. But if we were being completely honest, Dana was miserable uh, the three years that we were there. Is that she left this community of family and friends in Atlanta and moved into a community where she didn't know hardly anyone. And the only people she knew were with Young Life. And that we struggled to find a church in the time that we were there. And so at the end of the three years is that I was looking to become an area director. And, and I just remember praying to God is that if she is not happy with the place that we go, if, she, if she's not amazed from the get-go, I'll say no. I'll leave Young Life and we'll go move to Atlanta or you know move to Nashville or back to Knoxville. But I'll, I'll say no and we'll go do something else. It was kind of me kind of drawing a circle and saying, God, I, I need my wife to be happy. And uh, so me and Dana, who is this South Georgia girl, that's where she grew up. Uh, and so we drove to Kingsport for an interview for the area director position here with Young Life. And as we drove through the mountains, her eyes were big. And she's like, oh my gosh, this place is beautiful. You know? I grew up in East Tennessee. The only time she lived in East Tennessee was this, uh, the uh, year she was at grad school at UT. And so, uh, and so we interview with the Young Life committee and she falls in love with these people and, and she falls in love with this, the mountains and the scenery here. And uh, she did not know how I had been praying. She didn't know that I had been praying. But we're driving out of town after the interview, and she said, if they offer you the job, I want you to take it. And it was right then that I began crying and was like, and I began to tell her, I was like, this, is, this has been my prayer. And, and so then, you know, we felt like, okay, if, if, the, if the offer comes, this is where we're supposed to be. And we've been here for 15 years. Uh, and that we, along the way, there's been things that have just, God has just made it obvious. This is where you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing. doesn't mean it's not subject to change, but for now, His plan has been, it's been revealed in us. And it wasn't a one giant, we didn't see 15 years down the road. 
it was we saw one step after the other, one at a time. Uh, and it makes me think is that, that God, He has a plan for my life. He has a plan for the life of my family. He has a plan for my kids. He has a plan for your life. What do you think about when you hear me say that God has a plan for your life? Maybe you can see it clearly the way I've been able to look over my life and say, yes. You know, it's funny. If you go back and tell 17-year-old Scotty, hey, in 25 years, you're going to be the area director of Young Life, and your job will be to tell high school and middle school kids about Jesus. <laughs> I would have laughed. said, absolutely, no way, no how. Because see, 17-year-old Scotty didn't know Jesus and sure didn't want to tell anybody about him. Or even if you'd have told 17-year-old Scotty, in 25 years, you're going to be standing on a stage teaching others about God uh, in a church. <laughs> absolutely not. I didn't even go to church when I was 17 years old. But here I am. Is it God's plan? It has been far greater than I could imagine for myself. I mean, you could see the car that I drive and know that I'm not wealthy. You could see the house that I live in and know that I am not wealthy. But by no means am I disappointed about the way my life has turned out. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It seems that I, I am wealthy in ways that I never could have imagined as a 17-year-old. I have more friends, uh, family that loves me, and I have meaning and purpose in my life because of what God has brought me, what His plan has brought me. So it has not been perfect, and it's not been easy, but it's planned. I can look back and see steps along the way. That's sure, I'd have loved to have known three, four steps down the road, but all He gave me was one. And that's all He gives you is one. And we'll talk about that. Uh, is that if you, I'd love you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at the life of Abram slash Abraham uh, and his wife Sarah. You know, um, often is that I, when I'm asked to, to stand up here and teach, I will prayerfully pick out a, a passage and I will kind of prepare for it. Uh, you know, so sometimes I pick them out and sometimes they just smack me in the forehead, and I've got no other option, uh, is that I, I feel like I've done less preparing this week and more living this out in my own life. Um, and so, but God, He chose Abram, a normal guy, everyday kind of guy. Nothing spectacular about him. You know, I find that interesting. Is it, It's over and over through Scripture. God chooses ordinary people and does extraordinary things through them. That, you know, you read this story, you hear the story about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and like, these dudes are pillars of our faith, and they had it all together. No, they didn't. They were normal, everyday guys, just like me and you. It gives, it gives me hope looking at their lives, because they didn't have it together, and I don't have to have it together. And so as we look at this, we're going to see how Abraham... He botched a lot of stuff. But God still used him. And it gives me hope. And I hope it gives you hope that he will still use you. So first, uh, as Andy said, is that God called Abram. He called him to himself. And he has called you and I to himself. We are called by the Father. 
to come. And as we have given our control of our lives over to Him and accepted His plan for our life, He makes some promises to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If you're an ordinary dude and you hear God say this to you, is I'm going to, not just, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you a big family. I'm going to make you a great nation. Think about what that must have made Abram feel like. And even there's another promise that he makes in Genesis chapter 17. <clears throat> he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and you will greatly increase your numbers. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Again, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had been unable to conceive. They were getting along in years and it seemed that maybe the window of an opportunity had closed. But yet here God shows up on the scene and says, hey, I've got big plans. I'm going to make a, a great nation of you. Kings will come from you. Look, if we trace the lineage, we could go from Abram on down to David, on down to Jesus. This is, God chose to do something miraculous in this family line. He chose Abram to be the one that started it all. He was the kickstarter of it all. And, all, and so God had a plan for every, every generation. He had a plan for each one of their lives all the way down to the life of Jesus. And we know that He had a plan for Jesus' life. He would come die in our place. He would come taste death so we could experience life. And so God's plan kind of permeated all the way through. It worked its way all the way through, all the way from Abraham to Jesus. But even all the way here to me and to you, His plan. And He made Abram some promises, some huge promises. And as I thought about this and I prayed about this, He's made me and you some really big promises as well. Is it promises that over the course of my life as a Christian I have held on to dearly? I, I, could, I could quote you hundreds of these promises. I'm only going to give you two this morning. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I'm not talking prosperity gospel here. Is it, but God has a plan for your life. And it is much greater than you could have ever imagined. I look back over the last 25 years of my life, this probably isn't what I would have chosen at 17. But at 42, I wouldn't go back and change a thing. Is that my life has been far greater blessed than I could have ever imagined. Is that God's plan for my life was so greater than any plan that I could have had for myself. Sure, it's been hard. And it's had its challenges. It's had its heartache. And it's had its frustration. But see, God, He is good. And He is faithful. And He loves me more than I can imagine. And His plan for me is far greater. And it's, He loves you far greater than you could imagine. And His plan for you is far greater 
than you could have imagined or even what you could imagine for what's down the road for you. The other one is Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. There have been times in my life where I may have felt lonely, but I've never been alone. That God's promise is you will never be alone. I will be with you wherever you may go. You can take that to the bank. And so you think about with those two promises, is we are armed with God's promises. And His Word always stands true. And Abram, he had these promises. He had his own promises that God had made him to make him the father of many nations. I mean, we have the song, right? Father Abraham has many sons and many sons has Father Abraham. Uh, Let's see. Abraham struggled with this. And we'll look at his life. But God asked him, from what I have read, God asked him to do two things. Be faithful and be obedient. You think, that's easy enough. That's too hard. I think those are the two hardest. To be faithful. Trust God. In the midst of all trials, in the midst of all struggles, trust Him. And then be obedient. Do what He says to do. He's going to call you to go do something and He's going to give you the next step. may not be the next three or four steps. He's going to give you the next step. Just do the next step. It's not always easy to do that. I know that I struggle to do that in my own life. Well, we... uh, Abram... There's a, a few times that he drops the ball, but it gives me hope. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 12, um, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? Why why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. Is that, so Abram, he is, God has called them to go to Egypt. And he is, he's going to Egypt. and, And as they get there, he realizes, you know, that his life may be in danger because of his beautiful wife, and they would they would kill him and take her uh, to be Pharaoh's wife. Um, in a moment of fear and doubt, as he says, "Hey, we're going to say you're my sister." And, and as I read that, and as I think about that, I thought, "What a coward!" You know, like. But then I think about how fear and doubt drive my life. Because I think, I probably can't be throwing stones. I probably can't be calling names. 
is that, see, the, the promise had just been made to him. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse you. Like, God is saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And he's got that. And this is like eight, nine verses later. Is that he's like, oh yeah, they're going to kill me. And so, so he is so focused on the fear in front of him. The fear for his own life. And the doubt that God would intervene on his behalf. But he kind of trades his wife for his own safety. Is that fear and doubt cause him to do something completely illogical? I think that's that's the effect that fear and doubt have on our lives. They cause us to do illogical things, things outside of God's plan. See, we we have a choice. Is that I believe is that. This way, this is God's plan for our life. And He will give us one step after the other. Like I said, His plan isn't always easy. Sometimes it it has its challenges. But it is good. And it is full of life. That Jesus says, I have come that you may have life to the full. I think this passage is life to the full. It's full of meaning, full of purpose, full of love. I think even if you... Life, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like the fruits of the Spirit. I think this is God's plan. That is what He wants for our lives. But we allow fear and doubt to push us other directions. It causes us to go our own way. Say, hey, I I know what's better. I'm going to choose for me and my family what we're going to do. And so we choose our own way. And I think it's frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment. All that sounds familiar of I'm going to do it my way. This Our plan, our way leads to those things. And I think God's plan, it's not easy. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not the sunshine and rainbows. Uh, it is, but it is life to the full. And I can't help but think what Sarah's perspective on this. What have this must have meant to her emotionally and psychologically that her husband, this sacred relationship, that he said, it's not that important to me. What's most important to me is my own safety. What that must have meant to her. Um, I mean, I, I can't, can't assume to know that. Uh, but here's what I do know. is that the evil one wants nothing more than to rip our families apart. Um, is that I think that is, he's waging war on the family. Um, and, and I want to speak to the men, myself included, uh, is that we have to fight for our families. We have to fight for our lives. Because the evil one is trying to rip us apart. And I think for me personally, and probably for a lot of people in this room, is the thing that I have to fight the most is my own schedule, my own time, is that I have to carve out a margin that I can make my wife and make my family a priority. There's a good possibility my wife is watching on Facebook and she's probably nodding right now. That's right. Is that we have to fight for our family. And it's easy for me to point a finger at Abram and say he didn't fight. But there's times that I haven't fought. I've given in to my schedule. I've given in to to whatever else. Um, But I think it, it had to have taken a huge toll on his family. 
And so he chose fear and doubt. Pushed him to make an illogical choice. You know, you would think that, you know, Abram would have learned his lesson. This would have been the only time in his life that he would have ever done something so stupid. Unfortunately, it's not. In chapter 20, he does the same exact thing. Uh, Abimelech uh, is a king, and uh, Abraham, once again, same thing. We're going to say you're my sister so they don't, so they don't kill me. Is that he didn't learn from his lesson. Fear and doubt cause him to, to make the same mistake over and over again. But you know, Sarah, I, you know that she had her own struggle as well. Uh, that if you turn over to chapter 16, verse 1. You know, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Is that... I think Abram was driven by this fear and doubt. Sarah, she knew the promise. She knew that that God had promised it, that there was going to be this great number of descendants, that He was going to make nations out of them. Uh, She knew the promise. She got impatient. Is that she was ready for the promise to be fulfilled right then? Is that I, I can't imagine the faith it required of them? Is that they, as they were getting older and they still didn't have any children, and they're like, God, you've made this promise, and where are you in all of this? God, like, God, do we hear you right? Is this, is this promise true? I think we've probably had moments in our life. It's like, God, where are you? I know that that you have a plan for my life, but I can't see anything right now. You imagine the desperation that Sarah must have come to in this time where she would say, hey, here's, here's another woman. Have a baby with her. Maybe this is going to fulfill the promise. She was desperate and she was impatient. I think for us as a society, we are as impatient a society as there ever been. You know, that technology, we want things five minutes ago. We don't want it now. We want it five minutes ago. Um, that we want, we, want to, we want God's plan revealed to us now. And we want three, four, five steps down the road. We want to know the end process. And that's not the way God works. It is that God's timing, it is perfect. Not perfect for our mindset but perfect for our life is that he he reveals just the next step i think he does it for a couple of reasons one is it requires us to trust him what does he ask of abram he said trust me be faithful and be obedient so so i think that he gives us the next step just so we would have to trust him for the next step and then the next step and then the next step if we knew the next five or six steps in in His plan for our life, we could just sit back and say, okay, let's just watch it unfold. We'd just be spectators. But as we are waiting for each step, we become participants. Is it, we are de- desperate for Him to give the next step. And, and here's something too, is that like I think He gives us 
just the next step. Because if you gave us three, four, five steps down the road, is that I could see myself when I was 17 years old saying, hey, I, that, that sounds, I don't want that. Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to, to, to be in youth ministry, and I don't want to, to be an elder in a church. I don't want any of that. Like, I, I want to I live the, the good life. I want to live the fun life. I, I wouldn't have known at 17 that this was the full life. I wouldn't have chosen this at 17 years old. And so I think sometimes is that he gives us the next step because we're not ready to want it. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I used to think that, man, if I seek God, he will give me that, that big white house and that picket fence and that sports car. Is that I have come to understand that verse means when I seek God, I will want the things he wants for me. And so he gives us the next step. Because that's the step that we want. We want to know just what's next. And then steps two, three, and four, he may, he may give us desire for those steps later. We may not have the desire for those steps at that time. And I think it requires patience on our part. And that's the hardest part. Is that, God, help me wait. Is that, that often is that we are ready to act. And some of the times, some of the things that we just call to wait and pray. Is that, Years had went by for Abraham and Sarah. And they kept waiting and kept waiting. See, God's timing was perfect. Again, it's that we are looking for uh, to follow His plan. It, it's, it's not always easy. And it's hard. But it requires faith. And it requires obedience. And it requires patience. But this way, this life is far greater than we could have ever imagined. His plan for our life is far greater than you could have ever guessed. Like, I stand here and think, I wouldn't have predicted the life that I have now, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Hey, uh, like this sermon, like I said, it, sometimes I choose it, sometimes I choose it, and sometimes it hits me square between the eyes. Um, last weekend, uh, that my wife, Dana, uh, woke up on Saturday morning and said, Scotty, I need you to take me to the emergency room. Uh, I've got this terrible pain in my side. Which, for my wife to say, I want to go to the emergency room, means it's really serious, because I normally can't get her to go to the doctor, and here she's saying, take me to the emergency room. So at 6 a.m., we got up, and we went to the emergency room. And at first, the first... Uh, thoughts was it was going to be an appendicitis to take her appendix out we'll be there for a day or so and then we go home and okay that's, it's inconvenient but that's fine you know so be it uh, but they came back um, a little while longer after some more blood work and they said hey um, it's a little more serious than an appendicitis is that you've got these spots on your liver and they're bleeding uh, and the good news is that we think that they're uh, benign uh, but we're going to have to admit you to the hospital to see if they stop bleeding. And we're not going to be able to give you any, any food or water in case we've got to go in and do surgery. And so they took us up to, to the ICU step down. We thought we'd just be going to a normal room, and then it began to dawn on us how serious this was when we were in the ICU step down. And, and we were there, and it felt like we were in a holding pattern for three days while we were in the hospital, is that they were just waiting to see if the bleeding stopped. And that they didn't know what started it, 
or even if it would stop, um, and even if it stopped, it could start again. And as I'm sitting in the hospital room, this this passage, these thoughts that God began to to cultivate in my heart. You see, I want to know the next five steps with my wife's health. What do we have to do? Like, okay, we're here in the hospital, and then we're going to do this, this, and this, and this, and she's going to be perfectly healthy, right? And I stand here this morning a week later. All I know is we're going to see a liver surgeon this Tuesday. That's the next step. That's all that I have at this point. So it's funny. Sometimes I I teach a sermon and other times I live it. And that's where I'm at this morning. But here, even in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this doubt, I know that God is good. And I know that He loves me. And I know that His plan still is far greater for my life and my wife's life and the life of our family is far greater than I could have imagined. It's not always easy. But it's always good. Here's the thing is that I have not felt alone once this week. So this morning, is that I, I want to ask you, what are the next steps that he's calling you to? You may know that immediately. This is the next thing God wants me to do. And you may not know for a few weeks, a few months, but another promise out of Jeremiah says, you will seek and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek Him for the next step. Be faithful and obedient and patient. I know this really hard. And it's I'm saying that as much to myself as I'm saying it to you. Hey, this is what I want to do. I want to give a few moments of time for you to reflect on God's plan for your life. And maybe the next step that He's leading you to I'm going to ask Kyle to come sing, and I'll come back up and, and lead us in what is next. But let me pray. Dear God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your love is far greater than we could imagine. And thank you that you do have a plan for our lives that you just give us the next step because that's all that we need. Father, help us be faithful and obedient and patient. Remind us that we're not alone, that you're there with us every step of the way.